It's Wired, the Pistons podcast, presented by Keith. Here's your host, Matt Derry. And welcome back, everybody, to another edition of Wired, the Pistons podcast. Matt Derry with you, brought to you by Jeep. As we talk some Detroit Pistons basketball with you, the offseason certainly continues. The NBA, of course, resuming play coming up next week. We'll talk about that. The state of the Pistons, some of the new uh, moves that the team has made in the front office, and we'll do that with the senior editor from Pistons.com, who's covered the team for a very long time. Joins me now, our friend Keith Langloy. Keith, thanks for a couple minutes. Thanks, Matt. Good to be joining you. How are you doing? I am doing well. It's been, what, four and a half months since the Pistons last bounced a basketball, and we're, we're, we're probably at least around the halfway point if, uh, if, if they do not get permission to do a second bubble or do something at least on site with, uh, with, with what's, what remains of their team. So, uh, you know, this first few months, we were really just kind of feeling our way around, but it, you know, that now that, uh, they are doing the Orlando bubble and have sort of at least a skeleton of an off season ahead with uh, the lottery in about a month from now and, and then free agency in the draft in, in October when the NBA finals in Orlando conclude. And at least we can see it's still distant, but at least we can see the horizon now. When you talk about what the team has had to do, uh, Keith, kind of give us an update on what you know about certainly workouts, what guys are allowed to do, not do, and certainly for Dwayne Casey and, and Troy Weaver, it can't be easy. No, I mean, at least for you know Dwayne and his staff, it's a challenge. Uh, there are a handful or so of players in town, and they are allowed to to work out at the practice facility under, you know, a rather strict protocol. It's still an individual type workout thing with one coach and, and one player at a time, um, at, at one basket at least. And they all have to, you know, use their own basketballs and everything gets scrubbed and cleaned, uh, upon entry and, and, and exit. Um, and for Trey Weaver, I'd imagine it's more business as usual, as, and I say as usual, um, for the front office guy, it's just that he's got a lot, more time and i guess if there's a silver lining it's that uh you know he he gets a long uh, a long off season to you know really get to know the lay of the land study the processes um understand fully the the pistons picture from a salary cap and roster standpoint and gets to study you know teams you know in a typical off season they would uh they would get together shortly and after the conclusion of the season in mid-april if you don't make the playoffs and kind of you know go over everything uh internally on your roster and make make some decisions and then kind of you know to get that process out of the way hurriedly and prepare for the draft and then right on the heels of the draft is free agency well they've got a lot more time to do that and for a new gm like troy weaver coming in i would imagine you know i'm sure he would prefer things be it would be really uh more typical but this does give him a long time to get settled in and prepare for his first draft and first go around in free agency and you know the challenge for teams like the pistons and the seven others who are not going to play basketball or ball for a long time is to make the best use of that time and i'm sure that they are you know doing that and for troy the other thing he will do is to fill out a a staff around him and we know that the pistons have have, he's made one hire david mintzberg from milwaukee's front office as kind of a a cap and and uh you know an analytics type of guy so you know he will he will have a few more hires to make i assume and uh I know he has 
said uh, elsewhere that uh, this will be the most over-scouted draft in history. I'm sure he feels, <laughs> I'm sure he feels very prepared uh, for the draft. And and then, but then you know, the bigger thing is is free agency, and not just not just knowing what free agents are out there, but really knowing what other teams, especially with the salary cap being adjusted that and we still don't know what it will be but i think that the assumption is it's going to be less than the projections and probably closer to what last year's cap was so what what i'm sure troy and and, and his inner circle right now are doing is is looking at what other teams are doing and how they will adjust to the fact that the projections that they were giving given you know six months ago will not hold up so so there will be teams that are scrambling to avoid luxury tax teams that are really scrambling to avoid more cap space than than they anticipated having to create to make a key move in that is opportunity i would imagine for troy to maybe take on some contracts with some draft pick compensation attached or other uh, compensation maybe in the form of a young promising young player on a rookie contract attached so i'm sure that the, the luxury of time, I think, would show up mostly in that for him is to kind of game plan what other teams, trying to anticipate what other teams are doing, communicate with other front offices to get a better handle of what moves potentially are out there, and then uh, you know put that plan into action as we get closer to the October um, start of the draft and free agency. So many things you brought up there, Keith, that we could unpack here. Let, let's start with, with, with Troy Weaver. I, yeah, I, read, I read a couple of the things that you wrote about him last month when he got the job and, and everybody writes this you wrote this uh, and, and we talked about it here just the connections and, and the people that he knows are going to be just such an asset to this organization right oh i would just, yeah i mean we're talking about a guy who uh, joined the oklahoma city front office in 2008 and very very quickly and largely i think as a result of his first draft that produced Russell Westbrook, who, you know, far outseed, you know, now everybody can say, well, Russell Westbrook, who couldn't have seen that? Well, go back and look at at the the pre-draft stuff that year. Uh, Russell Westbrook was coming off a sophomore year at UCLA where, I don't know, I mean, he averaged 11 or 12, something like that. He wasn't, it wasn't, he wasn't jumping off of the screen as a, you know, a no doubt future NBA MVP all-star, multi-time all-star. Um, so it's been a long time since Troy was recognized as this rising star. He's been talked about as a future GM for, you know, at least the last eight of his 12 years in Oklahoma City, I would say. His name came up often, and he was paid, compensated very well there for an assistant GM. And, and by his own, you know, by his own admission, very, very comfortable in Oklahoma City. And he said, I believe on the, I had his press conference, that he kind of had made a commitment that he wanted to see it through while they had this championship window to see if they could win an NBA title there. And they came awfully close, of course. And then uh, Kevin Durant left as a free agent. And and then they, you know, they, they compensated by getting Paul George, but then that kind of came apart on him when when last summer when Paul George announced he wanted to be traded to Los Angeles so Troy I think was probably for the first offseason Troy was really really receptive to offers and I think it speaks you know volumes about the reputation the Pistons have now as uh, with Tom Gorris with you know word, word travels fast the NBA is a very small community and people have, have been uh, people have seen the the resources that Tom was willing to put into that new practice facility the pistons performance center team headquarters it is spectacular um you know the, the, the team the players that came to the pistons from other organizations this year i remember jordan mccray you know he and he's 
bounced through several franchises now. He came and he says, look, I've seen a lot of nice facilities. I've never seen anything like this. Yeah. Um, it's, it is well known that, that Tom has given the front office, he spent a lot of money to, you know, even in the days of the palace, uh, spruced up the palace. He's, he's stocked that front office with anything they wanted. Um, so I think the, you know, the fact that the Pistons were able to get Troy Weaver after he had been sought by a lot of teams and um, and and been had been speculated as a as a real rising star and a, and a, a GM to watch and that that speaks very well for the franchise and uh, it's going to be pretty exciting to see what he's able to do um in this you know this first off season with with the Pistons and the timing is also you know fortuitous very interesting Pistons in February after trading Andre Drummond announced publicly for the first time that they were indeed entering a rebuilding and uh you know Matt, i'm sure you're aware it might not have been a majority of pistons fans but it was a very <laughs> a very vocal minority of pistons fans who have been clamoring for a rebuild for the you know for at least the past two three four years so it, they're at a right time for troy and uh, again it will be very interesting to see what they do with the third most amount of cap, whatever, wherever the cap is set, the Pistons are going to have more cap space than all but two other teams. So that there's there is opportunity in that to, to do something. And you know, conventionally, it would have meant spending your money on free agents. And 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 I'm sure Troy, uh, at the leading edge of this, with a with a very forward thinking front office in Oklahoma City, they will explore other ways to use that to their advantage. And again, it's it's uh, taking on other contracts uh, that teams are looking to move for any number of reasons is, is one way of doing that and, and hopefully coming out with you know some more future assets uh, on your end for it. Keith Langloy, our guest, a senior editor for Pistons.com, has covered the team for a very long time, does fantastic work uh, joining us here on Wired. When you look at how he's putting this front office together, and certainly he has help, it's, it's, it's a group effort, and they've said that. Ed Stefanski's still there, and um, and certainly, uh, you mentioned Tom Gorris having a hand in things, but tell me about uh, David Mintzberg a little bit, that hire, and and what do you think uh, he brings to the table, and then what would be next, because there will be more, uh, like you said, assistant GMs on the way. Right. Um, well, David, I'm, by reputation, is uh, very much a, a numbers guy. Matter of fact, he had a, uh, you know, kind of a, a, his background was in law. He has a law degree, and, and I think one of the first things he did uh He's negotiated, uh, you know, the arena deals, I believe, and, and and you know more on the on the negotiating side. But then went into with Memphis into personnel evaluation. So he's got, you know, I think I, I, I would have to believe without seeing a detailed blueprint of his job is kind of the integration of those things, right? Um, the analytics, the the, the talent evaluation. Uh, that's it's it, you, you can never have too many people in a front office who, who understand the numbers and, and the and, and the CBA and I believe David will also be you know a go-to guy for CBA questions and and that is you really need the CBA is such a uh, complex um, and, and opaque kind of document that you need more than you certainly need more than one or two people in your front office who know, understand the nuances of the collective bargaining agreement and uh, so I, I have to believe he is going to be, you know, one of the go-to sources for for Troy. I'm sure Troy has a very, you know, a, a working knowledge of the CBA himself. But 
there are so many little nuances to it that uh, to have another guy uh, on board who who knows it like the back of his hand will be invaluable. And I'm sure he's he, he, with his with his background, I would have to believe he's also going to be steeped in analytics. And you know, we know that's been very important under under the Gores ownership. Uh, you know, they they really beefed up the analytics department when they arrived with the Pistons, and uh, I, I'm sure Troy, coming from Oklahoma City, where where Sam Presti was one of the you know really the pioneers of use of analytics, <coughs> excuse me, will be uh, that will be uh, will, will be one of David's uh, David's charges here. When you look at the roster, you know Keith, you and I have been talking here for almost 11 minutes, and haven't even mentioned any players yet. You mentioned Andre Drummond leaving, but. Um, certainly, when you when you look at this roster, there's there's got to be ways for this franchise to find diamonds in the rough, and Ed Stefanski has done that over the last few years. What do you think of what they have as far as material, and and certainly, uh, what about needs for the draft as we get to unfortunately have to wait till October? Yeah, well, I mean, look, you start with uh, you know the the two very heavily credentialed veterans, right, Blake Griffin and Derrick Rose, and so much of what the expectations for next season will be or will come down to where's Blake, you know, where is he physically? Now he is, he claimed, uh, he claimed in June, I believe we talked to, to Blake and he was right on schedule. He was, he said he would definitely be ready whenever, whenever the season were to start, he would be ready. Now the question will be, does he have the explosion that Blake Griffin of 2018-19 when he was an all-NBA performer is is he back to that level and and no one will answer that you know, I'm sure I'm sure even as good as Blake feels I'm sure he won't really know that until he's in you know some actual NBA level competition so um, and then you've got Derrick Rose who you know with some with some rather you know, not overly stringent, but with some disciplined monitoring of him last year, was able to stay pretty healthy. He had, um, I think, uh, early in the season, he had a, a, a minor groin issue that cost him maybe four or five games, and then he sprained his ankle in early March. Other than that, there was nothing. You know, when you think of Derek's injury history, it's it's the knees, and we, we didn't have any of that last year, really. Um, so it, he's a valuable asset for him. And then you know, Luke Kennard had really had a breakout season until the knee tendonitis cropped out. And you've got the three three-year guys and Bruce Brown and Svee Mihailuk, um, certainly established themselves as rotation guys last year. I thought really one of the overlooked things, um, you go back and look at Svee's last five or six games and he had really, really blossomed as an all around guy, not just a shooter. You go back and in those last five or six games, he had, you know, he, he dented the score sheet and assists. I think he had like, at least four assists in five of those last six games. He had he was picking up steals. He was rebounding and, you know, elite three-point shooting. He, I forget exactly what the number is, but there's only been a, a, a small couple of handfuls of guys who, on a high volume of three-pointers, I forget there's a threshold, like six or seven attempts a game, have averaged 40% from three in one of their first two seasons. And he's on that list. Uh, you know, that really, that's a pretty good barometer that you're, you're looking at an elite shooter. Um, and then Kyrie Thomas hasn't really had a chance because of injuries both seasons, but you know, then there will be a decision that, that will be one of the decisions I imagine on Troy's plate uh, coming up is whether to give Kyrie that third year that's non guaranteed. Um, Seku, uh, boy, you know, we saw, <laughs> you don't know what to make of Seku's right. rookie year, right? Because he was the youngest guy in the league by a wide margin and he was spectacular for two weeks and then. And then just kind of 
you know, hit the wall, whatever it was, didn't produce for a month or so. Uh, then had another couple of good games, and then again, well, you know, he was, he was very much up and down, which is exactly what they expected. Uh, what they didn't really expect is to have to throw him to, into such a prominent role. But when Blake went down and Markeith Morris was unavailable, you know, in the, in the middle of that early January road trip, when he, you know, <laughs> his first four or five games right. were against guys like LeBron and Kawhi and Draymond Green and and Kevin Love, and he guarded all and, of them. Know, yeah, and held up very well. So there's there's a lot to work with there. And then Tony Snell will be back, and Tony is is what he is. You know, at this point, a six or seven year veteran guy who's a forty percent three point shooter and a very good perimeter defender. So that's that's guys you know they'll be back. And then then you know the big question is Christian Wood. So unrestricted free agent Pistons have uh, significant advantages in retaining him. Um, You'd have to, you know, if you were going to say who's he going to be signed with next year, Pistons or somebody else, I'd, I'd take the Pistons over the field because just because they've got the advantages. And and Christian, by his own admission, went through, what, five other franchises, and this was his first real opportunity. He's got a coach in Dwayne Casey who went to bat for him when it was cut down time and who who has gave him his first real opportunity for consistent NBA minutes. So he knows, I mean, look, it always comes down to money, right? So if someone blows him out of the water and the Pistons aren't willing to go that high, that that could always be possible. But I think Troy, you know, Weaver will look at him, um, evaluate him. They'll come to a, a, you know, some sort of a blueprint for how to pursue his free agency and go from there. But if you can get Wood back and and uh, you know Blake Griffin stays healthy, even though they, they have publicly announced they're entering a rebuilding, Troy also made clear that you know rebuilding is you know the old way of rebuilding. You can't even think of it like that anymore. I, he said, "I look at, I'm basically rebuilding every year, and and you know we're, we're coming in to be a competitive team. So, I, I it, this isn't going to be a uh, you know about a, a process, a Philadelphia-like process. This is going to be something where they're going to want to field a competitive team, and and not the difference will be they're not going to make moves that you know that they will that will be painful for them two or three years. They're not going to be trading away first-round draft picks for anything. I don't I don't think during this window, but they will be wanting to field a competitive roster and uh, you know putting as as Troy said, putting forth a team that. Pistons fans will be proud of, and, and the old Pistons that he ticked off from the championship eras will, will, will want to watch and be proud of. When, when you look at it, we're talking to Keith Langloy. You mentioned what's there. It's interesting because I don't know how many years, Keith, you and I sat in that media room during the, the lottery, and the ping-pong balls never bounced the Pistons' way. We know what happened the one year they did. They were there, and they were high up, and that's the, so far yeah. uh, so far away. Yeah. And that now, wasn't even their ping-pong ball. Right, right. Yeah. It, it was the Grizzlies. But now it's almost like, all right, it, it, let's say, knock on wood, that, that, that Detroit wins it or, or that the Pistons get one or two. You look at this draft, and you say, well, what are the Pistons' needs and what's there? This isn't like the Tim Duncan draft. You know, this isn't the LeBron draft. So yeah. it's definitely interesting, right? Yeah, I, I, you know, you will never get. I, I don't, I don't believe you would ever get Troy Weaver to, to, to say. But I truly wonder this year if there are, if there will be teams sitting in the lottery, which I believe has just been moved to August twentieth. If, if there will be teams sitting in there hoping they don't get the number one right. pick this year, simply because you know, well, well, a couple of reasons, I guess. Number, and I don't think, I don't think this would scare Troy Weaver. But you know, if you, if you miss on the number one pick, it is. It, it, people remember that, right? If you miss on the number seven pick, not so much. But the, the thing is, if you look at the salaries that 
number one picks get, they're they're not inconsiderable. And if you're going to be paying eight million in a year two or three for the number one pick, that's that's a chunk of your salary cap. And if you don't think there's a big difference between the number one guy and the number five guy, then maybe you'd rather pay half as much for the number five guy, right? So, um, yeah, it's it's you're right. It is not uh, there is not a Zion Williamson, Tim Duncan, LeBron James at the top of this draft. And I I would have to think that whoever you know that what, what draft was it? 2013, I believe, when Cleveland had the top pick, and it was Anthony you Bennett. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. And going into that draft, uh, uh, I was told that that Anthony Bennett's agent about an hour before the draft started was in frantic communication with the Pistons who had, I believe the eighth pick that year that they wanted to know if Bennett was there at eight with the Pistons take him because his agent that close to the draft had no idea where his own client was going. <laughs> it could be a little bit like that this year where, you know, who, who gets the number one pick will really determine who becomes the number one pick because it's a beauty in the eye of the beholder draft to, uh, you know, for, to a far greater degree than, than in most, I believe. Are you a are you a Lamelo Ball fan? I, you know, it's just having some fun here for a second. I I think it would be fun, but again, you know, is, is he going to be running a team right away? Yeah, I don't. I I, really, I don't know because I I did not see any games from the Australian League this year. <laughs> All I've seen, and I don't put any stock in it or very little stock, is is highlight clips. You know, and everybody's going to look good in a highlight clip. Uh, so I I don't know. I don't know what to think. I know what I read about him. And it sounds intriguing—a six-seven guy with great vision. I mean, if if if, if that's true, uh, you know that that's a huge weapon, and and especially in an NBA where teams utilize you know pretty much every inch of the half court now. It used to be they would utilize the paint, you know, and and if you, you go back and look at you know even even a not even a generation ago when Stan Van Gundy took the Orlando Magic to the NBA Finals, they were they were you know, seen as this this outlier, this team that that takes a wild amount of three pointers, and it wasn't even thirty a game, and and now that's you know, now that puts you well below the middle of the pack. Yeah. Um, so the, there is much more. It's a much different game than it was ten years ago, and a, a six seven, a legitimate six seven point guard with a legitimate point guard vision is a weapon. And I, you know, I know the question of on him. The big question is, will he have the three point shot? excuse me and for kids that young it's it's very hard to project you know most nba teams uh front offices coaches Dwayne casey's a big believer that a three-point shot is something that they feel confident they can develop on a young player so um i that that will be interesting well he he certainly look it's we know that that point guard whatever whatever you want to say about this draft point guard is certainly the deepest position and when uh you know we had a chance to talk to Dwayne and in, in uh, last month and I, I asked him I said are you confident because because Dwayne has said that and this is true uh with all the downtime coaches are much more immersed in draft prospects than they ever are you know in a typical season NBA head coaches don't really get involved in the draft process except for maybe the three weeks, four weeks right before the draft when individual workouts take place. So Dwayne has seen all the point guard prospects in this draft, and I asked him if he feels that if the Pistons are drafting where, you know, where they project to draft, somewhere around five, six, somewhere in there, they, they go into it with the fifth best odds. Uh, if he felt confident that there would be an NBA, uh, a prospect good enough to be an NBA starting point guard within the first two to three years, he said definitely. So you got to believe that unless, you know, the Pistons can't draft, I think, 
what, ninth is the worst they could be. But if they get jumped by four teams, which is very unlikely, um, they'd be pushed down to ninth. But let's say they're picking right around where they're supposed to be, fifth. I I think that there's that the Pistons believe that there will be a point guard. And not that they're going to draft a point guard necessarily, but right. that's they certainly you can argue that that's their greatest need. I, I, I do think Troy's looking at it kind of like a blank slate. I fully expect him to take the best player available, but but this draft that there's a at least a fifty percent chance the best player available will be a point guard. So based on what Dwayne said, I think that there probably will be a point guard worth taking wherever they wind up picking. It's just crazy to think you look up and you look at that calendar, uh, that calendar, excuse me, and. You say uh, NBA draft October sixteenth. It's kind of crazy, yeah. crazy to think about. It is. All right, Keith. Great to uh, catch up, my friend. Thanks so much. All right, thanks, Matt. Anytime. You got it. There he is, Keith Langloy, senior editor, Pistons dot com. Read his stuff on the team website. As always, we are brought to you by our friends at Jeep. This has been Wired, another edition of the Pistons podcast. We'll talk to you again soon.